one of the things that people think is politicians rule the world. They don't rule anything. They can't even rule themselves. And um, I, I just want to uh, read out, uh, it's interesting, you know, uh, how uh, the Archbishop, the Roman Catholic Archbishop of Birmingham, no less, um, made some statements that are quite interesting. He read out um, in his Christmas message, um, St. Augustine said, a state that is not governed according to justice would be just a bunch of thieves. And I, you know, I think he's got it right. And, but the elaboration of justice requires the best contribution of all, especially those who cherish the light of faith in their lives and thinking. Indeed, the role of faith is well understood as that of casting new light on our power of reasoning, preserving us from a kind of ethical blindness caused by the effects of power and special interests. In other words, there's people with special interests who manipulate things, and you need an ethical base. You need something in life that's light, that gives you an ethical base. And he says this, faith casts a strong light on the truth that we are in fact created within relationships and prosper within them too. Fundamentally, we belong to one another and have to fashion our way of life accordingly. And then coming to Jesus, he says, in his person, he holds together both his human nature, the same as ours, and his divine nature as God. In this way, Christ is not a manifestation of God, God's word, to be obeyed, but an invitation to each person who shares this one human nature to share also in the very life of God, here and now, in the person of Christ. The human and divine are one. It is the eternal Son of the Father, God from God, light from light, whom we meet in the stable. So the invitation of Christmas is for us to come to know God from within, to receive God's Spirit into our lives and live day by day as daughters and sons of God in truth. And I thought it was good. St. Augustine said, you know, if you take ethics out of everything, you end up with a bunch of thieves. Boy, isn't that true? Hello? They are a bunch of thieves. Steal from us. And I want to talk about an individual's responsibility. You know, I know this, that we can change things if we only stand. And if individuals will stop their self-interest and make a sacrifice. You know, pe people are saying to me, we can't do anything. We can do something. Because God is on our side. And if God be for us, who can be against us? And we've got to face the fact that what they're trying to do is say there is no God. That God's values don't matter. That the truths we believe aren't true because society's changed and therefore we've got to accept that God has changed his mind. Well, he hasn't. And that is what's so exciting. So I want you to... Um, Spend some time with me this morning. We're going to look in the scriptures. And in 2 Corinthians, chapter 13. And let's take it from verse um, 2. It says, I told you before and foretell you, as if I were present the second time. And being absent now, I write to them, which heretofore have sinned, and to all other, that if I come again, I will not spare since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you would is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he lived by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves. 
how that Jesus Christ is in you except you be reprobate. You know, it's so important to understand for a Christian, it's not me, it's Christ in me. And, and if you don't have Christ in you, and that's what you have to examine, do I have the very nature of God in me? Do I have the very living God in all his fullness living within me? And if you don't have that, you're reprobate. Now that's what the scripture teaches. And it's very plain. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I find a lot of people, they say, oh well, you know, the Holy Spirit comes upon me. And you get Pentecostals, they live with an outward God. And you get people who sing silly songs, you know, um, which suggests that somehow God comes and goes. No. If you're a Christian, the mark of a Christian is Christ in me. And so Paul says, now examine yourself and know yourself. Got to know what's in you. Is Christ in you? And if he isn't, you're reprobate. Now, isn't that plain? Hello? You know, it's no good saying, well, I go to church, I've asked Jesus into my heart. Yeah, well, that's all very well. Did he come? And when he comes, there's a total transformation. And if there's not a total inward transformation of life, you're not a Christian. If your mind doesn't change, your nature doesn't change, your heart doesn't change, you're religious, but you're not a Christian. You're reprobate. Is that plain? Hello? You know, it's not good. Ah, oh, well, I speak in tongues. Well, so do Buddhists, Hindus, and Mormons. Christianity is Christ in you and he says look if Christ is not in you you are reprobate boy isn't that strong and then he tells people examine yourselves I, I find that there's this idea where you know oh well you know I've just got to trust stuff and nonsense if you don't know the finished work of Christ if you don't know your sins forgiven, if you don't know a change of nature, if you don't know your sins being divided from you as far as the east is from the west and God remembers it no more, if you don't have a clear conscience toward God, you are reprobate. I, I, let me think how I can put it somewhat more clearly. Uh, Without Christ coming and indwelling you and remaining in you and you becoming a partaker of the divine nature and without the reality of that life in you, you are a reprobate. You are not a Christian. Doesn't matter what you believe, doesn't matter what prayers you've said, doesn't matter how often you read your Bible, you are reprobate without Christ in you. You must be born again. You cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You can't be part of the kingdom of God unless Christ indwells you. Now, is that plain? Hello? Yes. You know, people like to say, well, oh, I went to church. I asked Jesus into my heart. What happened? Well, it's a struggle. Reprobate. That which I would not, that I do, reprobate. There has to be transformation. And it's inward, not outward. As the Archbishop uh, of Birmingham, the Roman Catholic Archbishop said, it, it, it's totally Christ in you. <laughs> Life of God in you. Now, that is what a Christian is. Okay? Is that plain? Hello? Yes. You're all going quiet. Yeah. 
Examine yourselves. Got to be challenged. Come to church to be challenged. That's why people get it wrong. They, 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 they get into all kinds of messes in their life because they think that somehow they can live a Christian life and then they can live their own life. Can't do it. Can't be a Christian. Only Christ can live a Christian life. Christ in you. That was what was sung. Should listen to it. Galatians chapter 5 says it in verse 1 stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage and he starts writing to people and he says he says hey you need to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and don't get entangled with the yoke of bondage now what's the yoke of bondage yoke of bondage for the Galatians was start getting legalistic uh, I find a lot of Christians always end up back in legalism they, they start out well the Spirit of God sets them free and, and, and all of a sudden they get caught up in the yoke of bondage and they go back and they start thinking uh, that somehow they can get into life by doing certain things and conforming to certain things. Can't do it. I, I, you know, it's no good me trying to be a Christian by saying, well, I should do this, this, and this, and this. Doesn't work that way. And you get entangled again. And I find Christians go to church and they get entangled with legalism. Uh, and then they get entangled with outward things. Look, the outward life doesn't matter that much. Because if you've got the right inward life and Christ lives in you, the outward will conform as a fruit of what's inward. But inward life, um, Jesus, if you think about it, let's take Jesus, he's a good example, isn't he? Being God. And he, he always trod on religious people's toes. That's why I'm walking down here. Um, he always trod on religious people's toes. You know one of the things he did? He, he, didn't, he ate with unwashing hands. He went to places that religious people wouldn't go to. And he sat down with people that were called harlots, wine-bibbers, gluttons. And he got on well with people that weren't religious. And he healed the sick and he went out to the multitudes. And he went into synagogues and healed on the Sabbath day, which really made him angry. In fact, he didn't conform to any way that they would like. And they said he was born out of wedlock, which was true, I mean, uh, born of a virgin. And they made all kinds of comments about it. But Jesus never conformed to anything. And he just wouldn't conform to religion. And I find there's, there's a, a living hell when you get entangled again with the yoke of bondage and you get awfully um, conforming to religion. It's awful. I don't like religion. I don't like it when they get conformed, you know, uh, they're going to have their watch day service. What does that mean? Everyone wears a watch. I, don't, I mean, you know, what watch day service? What are they going to do? Or, or, or they have their fasting and prayer week to have a good year. That's superstition. That's voodoo. Christian voodoo. Uh, and people get all in this kind of idea, ooh, you know, uh, and then they... They think that God will hear them for their much speaking and for their jigging up and down and for their ranting. God's not interested. Amazing Jesus managed without it all. Glory to God. And we need to get out of the habit of religion. Don't get entangled with religion. It certainly messes you up, doesn't it? Think, oh... 
I remember years ago, someone said to me, do you realize Wesley fasted one day a week? I think it was Monday. Can't remember. Stupid day, anyway. Whatever day. Oh, no, Carolyn fasted on a Monday. Didn't do her any good. Still put on weight. No, no, no. Um, but she tried it, and it didn't work, did it, Carolyn? I got very hungry and very tired. She got hungry and tired. But, you know, someone had told her it's the way to find God. But the Bible says, is this the fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? No, says God. In fact, God never instituted fasting. I remember my dear friend um, T.L. Osborne, when we were last with him, he said, oh dear, he said, when I first became a Christian, there was this Pentecostal man who taught me I must pray four hours a day, and he ended up with calluses on his knees. And it did him no good. And he began to hate prayer. He said he hated it. He was to sit out and, you know, go to pray on his knees. Listen, if you want to talk to God, get comfortable. Don't you think, you know, there's some virtue in getting uncomfortable? Ah. Okay, read this. It says in um, Galatians 2, verse 20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless not I, but Christ liveth in me. And we back, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen? I live, nevertheless, not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the... I love that. You know, I, I, I love to really emphasize that when I go amongst people who think they're spiritual. And they're always in the spirit. You want to get apostolic and get in the flesh. Come down to earth, buster. Paul said, hey, the life I live is in the flesh. All right? Christ in my mortal. Christ in my mortal flesh. Now, if Jesus hasn't come inside of you, you are reprobate. You're going to a Christless eternity. That's it. Someone rang me up this week uh, and finally got through to me, and he said to me, he said, um, what's your view about the finished work of Christ? So that's a funny question to ask. You know? I said, my view is, it's finished. Well, that's obvious, isn't it? You know, got to be a real brain to know that. The finished work of Christ is finished, isn't it? Otherwise, if it wasn't finished, it wouldn't be the finished work, would it? Uh, and he said, well, do you believe that once Christ comes, it's over? Look, I said to him, it was finished 2,000 years ago. Jesus Christ paid the price for your sin and my sin 2,000 years ago. That's when it finished. When he rose from the dead, he rose for my justification. He overcame all the power of the enemy. He's the head over every dominion, principality and power that's named. Not only in this world, but in the one to come. It's over. I find some people, they want to fight the devil and want to fight tyranny over cities. You're a goofball. You're an idiot. How can you fight What's finished? Jesus conquered all. Amen? It's a finished work. Uh, I, I, I want you to look at your book uh, in uh, 1 John um, chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Someone said to me, you know, they said, it's wrong for a preacher to be political. Oh, they, they want me to be non-political. But, you know, life's about life. 
And part of our life is democracy and politics. And part of our life, thank God for a Wilberforce who stood up in Parliament and slavery was abandoned because a man fought for the freedom of every individual. Don't you give thanks to God for that? Thank God for a John Newton. Thank God for a George Fox. Thank God for a John Wesley. Thank God for a Whitfield. Thank God for a William Booth. He, he got rid of all the gin palaces. Hey, we've got a, a, a heritage where it's wonderful. And Christians have got to stop this nonsense of believing that we've got to be lame little ducks who don't offend anyone, who say, you know, you can do what you like, just hit me again. No! We're going to stand up and we're going to stand for what's right. And we're not going to be silent. And that is the way you've got to live. Uh, Christians have got to stop sitting on the fence. Time to get off the fence. Okay. says in 1 John, chapter 2. 1 John 2. For all, verse 16, for all that is in the world. Now this is in the world. And then it defines it. The lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the desires thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now the big question is the will of God. And the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's the spirit of the world. People live for self-fulfillment. But the only person who's going to abide forever is he who does the will of God. Many shall say, says Jesus, in that day, Lord, Lord, we've cast out devils in your name. We've healed your sick in your name. We've done many mighty works. He said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. But he defines why they were workers of iniquity. Because they did their own will, not the Father's will. And that is where iniquity is. And I want to make it plain if you turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, you'll understand it. Luke 4. Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. Now here's Jesus. It doesn't say he was fasting and praying. Hello? It does not say that. Read your Bible. It says he was led into the wilderness. There was no food in the wilderness. So he ate nothing because there was nothing there to eat. There was not a McDonald's. There wasn't a Kentucky Fried Chicken. There wasn't a kebab house. There wasn't a curry center. Do you realize, I just um, noticed in the Times this week, it said that, um, you know, one of the cures for Alzheimer's, stopping Alzheimer's, is eating hot curry. Hmm. They said there's a certain thing that, that really provokes your immune system, uh, and if you eat hot curry, um, the stuff in the curry powder will stop the onset of Alzheimer's disease. I expected when I drove around the road that day to see people queuing up outside the curry house, but no, they weren't. They forgot. Um, but, <laughs> oh, <laughs> thought you wouldn't catch that one. It doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> Got to have a sense of humor. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone 
that it be made bread. Here's Jesus and hungered. Hadn't eaten for 40 days. Because there was no food. It would have been no temptation to have said to Jesus, turn this stone into bread if there had been food available in the wilderness. There wasn't. He could have eaten anything that was available. Nothing available. A stone there. So the devil says to him, turn the stone into bread. Is that plain? Hello? You don't like it because it's in the Bible. He wasn't fasting and praying. He was there, led by the Spirit, tempted of the devil. And when he gets hungry, the devil says, all right, turn the stone into bread. And Jesus answered the devil. It is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. In other words, listen, life isn't in what you consume. Life comes from living according to the word of God. Obedience to God. You've got to understand when God speaks, you obey. You live by obedience to God. It's doing the will of God. That's where it is. Hey, devil. Life is doing, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me, said Jesus. When he sat at the well and they came back and they said, you know, who, who gave you to eat? Uh, he said, I have meat to eat, you know not of. It's doing the will of God. Very important. Doing what God wants, not what you want. What you want will destroy you. What abides forever. You end up fulfilling your desires and your ambitions when you do what you want, but God wants you to realize those things will destroy you. The only eternal thing is when you do the will of the Father. It doesn't mean that the things you do are necessarily evil. They can be all right things, but all right things aren't right things if it's not the will of God. I find a lot of people are doing all right, but they miss the will of God. So many people end up in ministry when God hasn't called them to ministry. And they somehow are misguided because people say, hey, you've all got to minister. And then they get them to give up their jobs. They get them to give up their careers. And they go off and try and be a pastor when that's not what God's called them to do. And yet it sounds so right. 98% of missionaries come home within two years absolute failures why because some nincompoop in a church tells them it's what you should do and they try and fulfill their own will because it reaches to their ego to their self-esteem and they think they can go and do because they're christian no if God hasn't called you, commissioned you, equipped you, he'll never send you. And too many people are in the ministry today and they make shipwreck because they were never called to the ministry, should never have gone in the ministry. Part of my mission has been to get people out of the ministry. Get them to work. You know, ministry is not a business. Ministry is a call of God. And a call of God is very specific. I find so many people, they, they end up in ministry for all the wrong reasons. Unfortunately, they don't know it. And when you tell them, they get offended. Get mad at me. Well, I don't care. You know, I'm old enough not to worry. There's something nice about being old. You know what's nice about being old? You can get like T.L. Osborne and you can laugh at the things that are going on and say, thank God I'll be out of here soon. 
It's going to be someone else's problem. But I'll tell you what, before I go, I'm going to make sure I leave a heritage for my children's children. Before I go, I'm going to make sure every breath I breathe till the day I go to glory, I'm going to give it to giving my children's children an opportunity to live the way God intends. And that's what it's about. And I'll preach and teach and heal till I go. People live to fulfill themselves. You can do it religiously. You can do it spiritually. You can do it naturally. But in the end, you see, what does God want for your life? You, you always find out because, you know, there's a principle of tithing. Not that I talk about it much, but it's a biblical principle. One-tenth of what you owe belongs to God. Now, lots of people don't like that, you know, oh, legalism. Well, Abraham tithed, and that was before the law. I believe in it as a principle. It's amazing how many people, they don't do what they should do. Say, so, well, you know, I do, I, I give it to missionary, but just a minute. Where you eat is where you pay the bill. Sometimes I go to a restaurant. I try to go to a decent restaurant because I don't like stomach pumps. And, and I, I, I like to go and eat good food. But I'll tell you what, if I get a bill at the end of the meal, they expect me to pay it at the restaurant where I eat, don't they? Well, don't they? They don't expect me to pay it down the road. It's no good me going to a nice restaurant, eating a good meal, and going down to McDonald's to pay for it. I'm amazed how many people are unfaithful. And then they wonder why they don't get any blessing from God. They don't deserve it. It's that simple. You know, a principle's a principle. And the devil, verse 5, taking him up into a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And the devil said to him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will give it. What a liar. What a liar. Here's a fallen angel telling Jesus that he has been given and it was delivered to him everything. Now, don't you be one of those idiots that say that Adam delivered the ruleship of the world to Satan. He didn't. Hey, who is the king of kings? Who's the king of kings? Jesus. Who's almighty? Jesus. No, God's almighty, isn't he? Almighty God. Jesus is almighty God, yeah. But, hey, God never ever gave the rule of this world away. And when you read in the book of Job, Satan came amongst the sons of men and he said, hey, what about this servant Job? You know, if you touch him and you touch what he owns and you touch his body, you wait and see, he'll curse you. And the devil had to ask permission of God. And God put boundaries. I find so many people think that somehow the devil's in, the devil's in control of nothing. That's why he's called the prince of the power of the air. He's full of emptiness. Is that plain? Don't ever get, you know, say, oh, the devil. That's voodoo. Or Vindaloo, which will help you with Alzheimer's. Um, he said, look, all this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me. Who delivered it to him? No one. He was a liar. And what he wanted was Jesus to fall down and worship him as though he really was in control. 
And I want to tell you something. The day you start praying against principalities and powers and marching around a city, you are worshipping the devil. The day you say that the devil's in control of an area, you are a devil worshipper, not a God worshipper. Hello? The day you start believing that the devil has got control, you worship the devil, you don't worship God. The day you say demons control things, you become a devil worshipper. Is that plain? Hello, is that plain? Yes. No, there's not a good enough response. Is that plain? Yes. Makes you a devil worshipper when you ascribe authority to a fallen angel that he hasn't got. When you start giving credence to the lie. And I meet a lot of people, they give credence to it. And there's pastors all over London in churches giving credence to the devil. Oh, the devil's got authority over an area. He hasn't got any authority. Is that plain? Jesus has all authority. In heaven, on earth, under the earth, my Bible says. And if you turn around and ascribe authority to the devil, you're a devil worshipper. Is that plain? And when you go and you want to free up an area and you start marching around the city and you say, oh, you know, devil, we bind you. Devil, you worship the devil. Because what you're saying to the devil is you have authority, you have power. He doesn't have any. You are giving credence to a lie. That makes you a demon worshipper. And what is worship? It's ascribing honor and position to an individual. And when you say he's got it, you're honoring him with what he hasn't got. Boy. Is that plain? You know, you go on. He'll be, we're going to pray against the demons over a city. There aren't any demons over a city. Grow up. Glory of God's in the whole earth. Amen? Amen. We're going to look at it. Um, you know. Well. <laughs> and Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan. For it is written... Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Amen? Amen. You know, you don't want to serve the devil's intention, do you? The devil wants everyone to believe he's got power. I meet a lot of people, they, 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 they like to feel they've got power. They think they're, they're powerful. <laughs> Look, they have no power. Because my God has all power. Hey, the only reason a person has breath is God lent it to him. <laughs> God raises up, God puts down. Who art thou, old man? I, I, I find... A lot of people think in power terms. And you, do you realize when you give someone power that they haven't got, and you ascribe to them authority they haven't, you become a worshiper of them. And, and the, the Lord said, hey, I'm not going to worship you. But the whole trick of it was the lie. The devil was claiming it had been given to him. It hadn't. And he couldn't give it to anyone else. Hey, if there was anyone with all power, it was Jesus Christ, wasn't it? He was creator of heaven and earth. Everything's upheld by the power of his word. What a lie the devil brings. And people say, oh, you know, there's these demons, there's principalities, there's powers. 
makes people do wrong things. I tell them, you don't need to have a devil to help you sin. You're a big enough devil yourself. Grow up. You sin because of your desire, don't you? Uh, well, don't you? It says you sin in James. It says you sin when you're drawn away by your natural desire. When it conceives, it brings forth sin. Sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. It's your natural desire, isn't it? That's what gets you in bother, isn't it? You walk down the road and you pass a cake shop and you see this big chocolate eclair in the window and you think it will not harm one. So you go in and buy a dozen and you go home and eat them. Or you're one of these people, you're on a diet but you can't help it, you pass the sweet shop and what is four Mars bars to anyone? Especially if your wife can't see. She can find the wrappers, though. Now, of course, I wouldn't do that, but I'm just saying there are people that would. But I'm not going to look at anyone. Where is she? Um, I, I know people that, that cheat. Verse 9. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. You say, well, how does this fit in? I'll tell you what it fits into. Do you know, I find a lot of charismatic and Pentecostal Christians want to prove how holy they are and want to prove how right they are. It's called prosperity teaching. You know, if you've got the swankiest car and a $10,000 suit and you've got all the swanky stuff and you've got your Rolex watch and you've got your gold cufflinks and you've got your whatever it is you wear on your feet, um, and you, you know snakeskin shoes people got hold of Jesus and they tried to compel him hey we're going to make you king he said no you're not why he already was king of kings Hosanna blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord we're going to make you something no you're not I find there's too many Christians who try and prove, look, don't ever argue with people. If someone says they don't believe in God, don't even waste your breath on them. Leave them alone. You won't convince them intellectually. It's not worth arguing with them. It says a fool says there's no God. A fool is a fool. A jackass is a jackass. Leave them alone. My Bible says, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There is a condition on coming to God. You've got to believe he is. Never argue. If someone says, I don't believe in God, I just say to them, you're a liar. What do you mean I'm a liar? I know you believe in God because God's put a light in every man. Now, if they start arguing, I won't even talk to them. I've got better things to do in my life. Is that plain? Look, if God doesn't divinely meet someone, and it's a sovereign work of God by the word of God. If he doesn't do it, it won't get done. And arguing and intellectualizing will not save anyone. Save your breath. Stop boring the pants off people. Some people, I've got to tell them. Look, get them to church where they can hear the preaching of the gospel. Okay, look at Hebrews 12, 15. You've got to, looking diligently... 12.15, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And the word bitter means discontented. Poisons resulting in denial of the faith. You know, there's people that just can't get their own way. Do you know, in a church, you tell people, hey, you can't have everyone in charge. It's not a democracy. 
It isn't. Running a school, it's not a democracy. It's amazing how many people fail the grace of God. They don't understand that, look, I'm not qualified to be a pastor. Of course I'm not. I'll tell you what it is. It's by grace. He calls the things that are not as though they were. If it was me qualified, then I'll tell you something, you'd all be in trouble. I'm disqualified, therefore I am. Things that are not as though they were. Because it's grace. When you think you can do it, you've already failed the grace of God. I find so many people, they think they're so well qualified to do this, to do that, to arrange this, to arrange that. Grow up. You're not in faith. You're in delusion. Oh. Is, that, is that understandable? You see, it's the people that know they aren't qualified who can do it. People, I tell you, when, people, when I first started the church, people said, you'll never make a pastor. I said, I agree. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm the type of person, I've got such a sweet disposition. You know what I mean? They can't wait to throw their arms around me and say, you're just such a nice person. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, that's how people think Christians should be. Is it ever so nice? <laughs> they forget that Jesus got a whip. He went in the temple, he kicked over the money tables, and with the whip he, he took it and he went, move along there please, move along there. Says he drove them out. As it is written, the zeal of that. Hey, and some people, they don't like that. You know, you're a Christian. One time, the, the military came to get him, and he turned round, and they all fell back as dead. Another time, multitude tried to push him over a cliff. He just walked through the midst of them. Huh. Uh, they, they, they've got this effeminate Jesus. False image. Hey, he's a God of love. A God of grace. But you know, love is not weak. Okay. 2 Kings 6, verse 8. Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, and saved himself there, not once nor twice. Therefore... The heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king. But Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. You know. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he hither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Hey, there's a whole army there. And he said, don't get worried. They've got their chariots. They've got their horses, but don't worry. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw... And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray with blindness. And he smote them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. Amen? Amen. You know, look, can't you see? I'll tell you, 
The whole earth is not full of devils, demons, and gobbledygooks and things that go bang in the night like that. I'll tell you what it's full of. It's full of the hosts of heaven. And if you don't believe me, and you say, well, that's Old Testament, go with me to Hebrews 12. Go on, Hebrews 12, quick. Verse 18, for you are not come unto the mount that might be touched and burned with fire, nor unto blankness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that the words should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or thrust through with the dark. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. That's not where you've come. And I find so many Christians are afraid of God. They're afraid they, they have a wrong concept of God. My God is a good God. It's faith that works by love. And it's good for me and it's good for you. And it goes on. But you are come where? Unto Mount Zion. And unto the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. You're not come to the earthly Jerusalem. And there's not going to be a rebuilding of it. Get it right. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. And to an innumerable company of angels. Hey, Elisha. I want to tell you, we have a whole company of angels around us. We don't have devils and demons. We have the angels of light on our side. God is for us. Who can be against us? We have come to Mount Zion. Do you believe what God says? Well, do you believe it? Are you sure? Look, it goes on. Uh, an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See not. See that you refuse not him that speaketh. And it goes on. Don't refuse him. Look, a whole company of angels round us. If God be for us, who can be against us? And, and, and you know, the world are trying to say, and, and people come and tell me, who oh, evil sweeping the world. Oh, there's a great tide of evil coming. No! I have a God and an innumerable company of angels. And I want to tell you, light and life is more powerful than death. Hello? Don't ever get caught up in the heathen superstition. Start believing in God. I've come to Mount Zion. I've come to the living Jerusalem. I've got a whole company of angels round about me. My God, Jesus, the mediator, he lives within me. I'm alive in him. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Do you believe it? Hello? You see, you've just got to have your eyes open. Oh, uh, well, you know, what can we do? I'll tell you what we can do. Anything. Whatever God tells us can, to do, we can accomplish it. Because what he's promised, he's able to perform. Amen? You know, it's good. This, this old girl here. Look, this one. Well, she's not that old. You came the other week, didn't you? Yeah, two, weeks two weeks ago. You had a bad... You thought you got something in your throat. It was Adam's apple. You shouldn't eat apples. Um, and she had terrible um, stomach problems. Yeah. And it's all gone. Yeah. And it was two weeks ago. Yeah. And you're all right. Yeah. And you're not full of dysentery anymore. <laughs> no. She's, she's free. I'll tell you what. All she got was prayed for. We've got an innumerable company of angels. People say God can't. And she wants a baby, don't you? Yeah. Okay. Here you are. Give me your hand. Now, it's going to take some work from your husband, too. 
Father, give her the desire of her heart. Amen? Amen. That's it. Done. It'll be yours. And, and you say, well, how can you know? Because I tell you, God said so. And, and how can God, God can do anything. I find people, they're all, <laughs> you want to get all religious. Stop being religious. I tell you what, it's not the devil. I've come to Mount Zion. Boldness. Why? Entering through his flesh. Whose flesh? Jesus. Hey, and he lives in my flesh and I'm alive in him. Amen? Glory to God. I, I, I just find it so wonderful. In Isaiah uh, 59, uh, it says this in verse 19. Oh, let's take 54, 17. No weapon, in Isaiah 54, 17, no weapon that's formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise up against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Amen? No weapon that's formed against you is going to... But, read it. But, what does it say? Every tongue. Do you notice, hey, the weapons, the tongue. Do you know, it's amazing how the weapons that people use, they tell lies. You've always got people out there telling lies. Like the devil said, he, he, he had all power. He was a liar. Get behind me, Satan. It's a lie. It's not going to prosper. Their lies won't prosper. They'll come to nothing. But there are always people out there wanting to tear down what's good. Isaiah 59, verse 19. When the enemy shall come in like a flood... The Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. And the Redeemer shall come to Zion. And unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them. And this is the covenant God has made with you. And you need to hear it. Listen, each one of you. This is the covenant God has made with you. My spirit is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth, they shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed seed, saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. Glory to God. That's why we're not going to give one inch to those crooks up in Westminster who want to rob us of the truth of God. Why? Because God made a promise the word isn't going to depart out of our mouth, out of the mouth of our seed or our seed seed forever. Amen? Amen. Now you don't have to be ashamed of the word of God. God promised and what he promised he's able to perform. You say, well, I don't understand that. Well, I do. My God is my God. Do you know, I will never yield one inch. My seed, seed. I've got grandchildren. And the word of God's not going to depart out of their mouth. And when I go home to glory, they're still going to be on the earth. And I'll tell you what, they're going to speak the same thing. I'll tell you why they'll speak the same thing. Because it's planted in them. And you've got a heritage. And you have a responsibility to put within your children the seed of God and the word of God. You have a responsibility to speak it out. And one of the problems is too many people speak out wrong things. They form weapons against God. They speak against the things of God. They mock. They ridicule, they challenge, they say, what's the use? I want to tell you, there are people who live wrong. If you live wrong and you choose to speak against God, 
the seed that you're going to plant in your children is the seed of rebellion. If you fail to live the life, the skepticism, the unbelief, you will plant that seed. Not the seed of God, not the seed of holiness, not the seed of righteousness. It's what you speak. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if the wrong thing's in your heart, and you speak it out, and you parents, mark my words, every parent here, Every grandparent, mark my words. What comes out of your mouth will infect your children. Don't you dare open your mouth in skepticism. Because if you do, you're going to reap a harvest. What you sow, you will reap. That's what the Bible teaches. I find too many people... Their mouths go too quick. And you destroy. God's promises have the seed, the word of life. The word of God should come out of your mouth. And it's going to be in the mouth of your children. And it's going to be in the mouth of your children's children. And it won't depart forever. Isn't that wonderful? But the condition is you've got to make sure you're sowing the right seed. It's easy for any jackass to criticize. You can always find fault. Anyone can. Hey, we're human beings. We have this treasure in an earthen vessel. You can concentrate on an earthen vessel and try and find fault in it. Or you can concentrate on the word of God. But what you sow, you'll reap. I love the fact that the seed, when it's the word of God, it's going to remain there from generation to generation to generation. Won't be taken away. Forever. Isn't that wonderful? No weapon that's formed against you is going to prosper. Do you think, you know, I, I'm a kind of person, I, I really, you wouldn't believe it, but I know you'll find it hard to believe, but People do criticize me. I mean, it's rare, but they criticize me. They don't like someone who's straight in your face. Uh, but that's the way I am. You know, I think I want everyone to understand what I'm saying. I, I'm plain spoken. I, and thank God I was brought up not to be religious. My parents weren't Christians. And, and I, I thank God for that. I know there's people who thank God that their parents were. Thank God they, they had those parents. But as for me, I didn't grow up with this kind of pious self-righteousness. I didn't grow in, up in a church. I grew up on the rough side of the street. And I'm glad I did. And I'm me. And God saved me. And God loves me. And he doesn't want me to be what I'm not. He wants me to be what I am. And I am what Christ is within me. But I have this treasure in an earthen vessel. And it didn't mean that all the kind of attributes God equipped me with were going to vanish. I'll tell you why I can say what I say and stand as I stand and be as bold as I am. I'll tell you why. Because everything in life God ordered. He orders all things after the counsel of his own will. But you know, the amazing thing was in ordering it, he planned what type of person I'd be. In the same way that Paul went about persecuting the church of God, murdering people, imprisoning people, stoning people, and became an apostle. You say, well, that wasn't a good qualification to preach the gospel of love. And then there was Peter the fisherman, impetuous Peter. Man alive was he impetuous. But he was a leader. He hopped out of the boat when everyone else stayed in it. Took a sword and chopped off a servant's head. There were all these army came out to take Jesus. He thought, 
give me an ear. And he chopped it off. Now Jesus put it back on. He said, Peter, put up the sword. Dear old Peter. You know, God caused the thing. There were James and John. They, they went by one city. They wouldn't accept Jesus. He said, let's call down fire from heaven like Elijah. No, that's not what we're going to do. You don't know what manner of spirit you're of. But <laughs> you've got to understand one thing. God isn't what you think he is or like you think he is. God is a God of love. It's faith that works by love. But love is not soppy and sentimental. Love is strong. My God is almighty. And he's bold. You know the Bible says my God is a man of war. Mighty to redeem. His fear and dread shall fall on all his enemies. Hey, where's the devil? Under your feet. And I'll tell you what, you're encompassed with a whole company of angels. And, and, and what you need to see is, we've come to New Jerusalem. The city of God is a heavenly Jerusalem. Amen? We've come to a whole company of angels. Hey, do you know the most wonderful thing of all is it's a finished work. Jesus has done it all. And we haven't got to struggle and fight and beg and be, oh God, oh creep. It's not like that. He's your loving heavenly father. He loves you. If you being evil know how to give your children good gifts, and I hope you did at Christmas time, how much more shall a heavenly father, hey, give to you? The gift of life. He lives. He's alive. He's alive in me. Amen.